0: Ministers, faithfully, keeping this ministry uh, going and going strong, we are grateful to you. Um, And even though our offering time is really short now because we're not offering, uh, you know, passing plates like we used to right now, uh, I just do want to take a moment to thank you uh, for your faithfulness in your giving. It's really appreciated. I want to ask you to join with me as we pray uh, to crack open God's Word and ask Him to speak to us this morning. Father, uh, we don't look to You uh, in dreams. We don't try to interpret You out of uh, objects. Uh, We come to something that is objective, Your Scripture, and as we open it now, we pray that You would speak to us like You've used this passage to speak to Your people Uh, for centuries, thousands of years. No less relevant today than it was when it was first written. And we pray that you would allow us to, uh, by your grace, live it out, be changed by it, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are nearing the, the end of the book of Numbers as we move through the book of Numbers. Third book in the Bible, so please turn there. Numbers chapter 33, Numbers chapter 33 contains another list that, if we're reading through this book in our own time, it's another chapter where we might be tempted to sort of skip or, or skim really quickly. But it's an important list. It's a list, list of personal events to these people of God and places they've been. You can think of the value of cleaning through your old cabinets because you're getting ready to move or something like that, Uh, or you're looking for some old diploma or something and you open up a box and there you have the old albums with the cellophane paper covering your Polaroids, old pictures uh, that immediately take you down memory lane. as you reflect on the places you've been the people you used to know uh whatever happened to that person oh yeah look how young this person is there Uh, remember when we lived in that house Uh, when you go down memory lane you reflect sometimes fondly on things that you experienced. that if you you might wish you could go back and experience again there might be some memories jog that weren't so great Uh, but in all of those you can either be thankful that God provided you with those great memories, or you can be thankful that God provided for your survival through the bad memories. You're still here, and it is a good discipline, although it's changed. We may not use physical albums anymore. That became scrapbooking, and then scrapbooking, what did scrapbooking become, like Shutterfly or something? Like Everything's online now. But there's still or maybe facebook timeline there's still ways to do that and it's usually curated through pictures snapshots maybe some comments about where you've been that is the advantage of being old the advantage of being old is your memory album is much thicker than everybody else's but it's no advantage to us if we don't use it if we don't stop and think and reflect about where we've been we'll always have a hard time Uh, thinking rightly about where we're going. And what we have here in Numbers chapter 32 is sort of a memory album. And before they get into the land, before they start conquering, there's this discipline that God is requiring of them to reflect on their history, reflect on their past. And yes, it's full of ups and downs, but to reflect on it. And so as we begin, we see that... uh, Right at the top, chapter 33, we're going to see stages. You see that there in verse 1. These are the stages of the people of Israel. When they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord, and these are their stages according to their starting places. Uh, I'm thankful to my wife for taking so many pictures. Uh, There would be zero evidence. You know, the government would have nothing on me. I don't take pictures ever, right? As you think about, there was a discipline here that Moses had of actually recording those stages. Some of you journal. That's great. Uh, But again, not great if it only ends up in a box and in storage and never visited again. The purpose of journaling, I think in part, And the purpose of picture albums is to go back once in a while. And so here we see verse 2, Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by command of the Lord. This is something the Lord wanted him to do and told them where to go. And these are the stages according to their starting places. And what we have here is a list. I'm going to read uh, just the next few verses so you can kind of get the rhythm of it. They set out from Ramses, and that's Egypt, in the first month of the fifteenth day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly, in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were bearing all their firstborn. Remember that plague, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also, the Lord executed judgment. So the people of Israel set out from Ramses and camped at Succoth, and they set out from Succoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. And they set out from Etham and turned back to Pai hahiroth and on and on it goes. They set out from here, and they went here. They set out from here, and they went there. They set out from there, and they went there. Forty-two spots in total. And you might be thanking the Lord right now, I'm not going to read straight through. But forty-two spots, and if you were them, you'd go, oh yeah, I remember Mazaroth. I remember Sukkoth, I remember that. Oh yeah, my parents told me about that. because it was written down and the stages were recorded for a purpose. This is God taking them from some place to another place with a lot of stops in between. And you might even think in your own life, why did it take me 30 years to learn this lesson? Why didn't I learn this lesson then? Well, A, because you're hard-headed, so am I, and so were they. But B, because God likes to take stages to do stuff. And that's, that's okay. And so God takes stages to take them from where they started out to where they eventually go. And we see that starting place and ending place in uh, the, this word edge in verse 6. Look at verse 6. They set out from Sukkoth and camped at Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. So they got out of Egypt. Now they're going to enter the wilderness. And then we see a bunch of stages leading to... Uh, let's look at verse 37, they set out from Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor, which is on the edge of the land of Edom. So God took them from edge to edge, rescues them out of Egypt, got them through this whole wilderness journey in many successive stages, and brought them to the edge of the land of promise. God brought them there. And the purpose of going down memory lane for them is to see that God took them from here to here to here to here and was up and down. And sometimes they did U-turns in the wilderness. And a lot of those U-turns were because of their hard-headedness and it was a struggle. But God eventually brought them to the edge of the promised land. He got them there. So Paul's not making things up when he says the Lord will finish. He will complete the work he began in you. Why? Because that's God's MO. That's why. Even when we're hard-headed, even when we run in circles sometimes, if we stick with him, he brings us to the end. And so he takes us from edge to edge, the edge of the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. And this is a journey that we can all see ourselves in. And it's a, about eras. Look at verses 38 to 39. It's weird. You have this, the stages, you're flipping through pictures, which mostly maps at this point. And then now you see a Polaroid of Aaron the priest sacrificing something, right? In verse 38, And Aaron the priest went up Mount Hor at, at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the people of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. And Aaron was 123 years old when he died in Mount Hor. Well, why do we have that there? Well, it's the end of an era. Aaron was there with that whole first generation. That whole first generation had to wander 40 years in the wilderness because of their hardness of heart, because of their stubbornness. It would have been a much more direct thing if it weren't for that struggle. And Aaron represents that entire era, that entire time of wandering in the wilderness. And now that he's gone, that era is over, and it's a new era. What's the new era look like? Look at the next verse, verse 40. And the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev in the hand of Canaan, heard of the coming of the people of Israel. Israel is about to arrive in the land. So again, edge to edge, the era of Aaron leading them, now the era of Joshua taking them into the land after Moses. And so this is a transition passage, looking back on the wilderness experience and getting ready to take the land. And of course, the king hears about it, and he's probably getting a little nervous because he knows God's hand is with these people. They're not wandering the wilderness, uh, just they're so ripped and cut and muscular from all this journey. they're scary. No, they're not scary. They're weary, they don't have a lot of stuff. They're scary because God is with them. From the beginning, from the first edge to this edge, God is with them, and God is the one that empowers them. And it reflects our journey. Uh, if you look at verses 3 to 4, this is the birth of the people they set out from ramses from egypt and how did god get them out finally with the passover and they place faith in god they place faith in that lamb to not be killed by that plague that killed the firstborn of the egyptians that's how the lord struck them down that's how the lord got them out so this is sort of the the rebirth of this nation that was in slavery that was in captivity. And then you have their baptism, so to speak, in verse 8. Now, there aren't very many places where we have commentary. Normally, it just says they went here, and they went here, the names of the places. But sometimes Moses drops a little comment. In verse 8, there's a comment. They set out, before, they set out from before Hahiroth and passed through the midst of the sea into the wilderness. And they went a three days' journey in the wilderness of Etham and camped at Merah. So after they went through the sea that God opened up, and the armies that pursued them, the sea collapsed on them, but Israel came through, that taken together with the Passover is their birth, their their rebirth, and their baptism. And how do we know we see that as baptism? Well, first of all, because God uses judgment waters as baptism. Why do we dunk somebody in the tank and they come out a new person? The judgment waters takes care of the wrath of sin, and they come out uncondemned by that wrath. That's how Jesus did it uh, in his tomb and resurrection. But Jesus also did it symbolically, didn't he? You remember in the beginning of Matthew, the beginning of Mark, when Jesus, uh, he, so to speak, comes out of Egypt uh, because his parents were escaping the slaughter of children just like it was happening in Egypt uh, back in the Exodus days. And he comes out of that, he grows up, and he goes to start his ministry. But before he starts his ministry, he gets baptized by John the Baptizer, right? John the Baptizer baptizes Jesus, and what's the next thing Jesus does? Goes into the wilderness. Right? And what does he do in the wilderness? He gets tempted as he wanders around, just like Israel was tempted. But Israel failed in their temptation. What did Jesus do in his temptation? He quotes the words from the Lord that were given to them in the wilderness that they got from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. So I don't want to spend too long there, and I know I've done that before, but I want you to see that this is not just an ancient story of a people wandering around in an wilderness. This is your story, because we cannot survive the wilderness unless Christ went ahead of us. We need to be reborn for this, we need to be baptized into the body of Christ to be identified with the successful wilderness journeyer, journeyman to take us to the end. That's why the Passover is unpacked in those first couple verses. And if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you're not in the wilderness. Your life might feel like the wilderness, it might feel difficult, but that's not wilderness. That's slavery in Egypt. You're still back there. And those of us who come to church and read our Bibles and sing songs because we're like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. You're not making it. You're just churning mud. You're just making bricks for your slaveholders. To get out is not to do good stuff. To get out is to place your faith in the Lamb so that death passes you over. Now you're on your journey. But as many of us know, you give your life to Christ, you're excited about this new faith, and then life gets really hard. Friends start leaving your, you know, you, you lose some friends, you might lose some family. Your marriage might get more difficult because you came to the Lord, but your partner, your spouse is still stuck in Egypt. And there's all kinds of difficulties that come. The world hates Jesus, and so they therefore hate Jesus' followers. And so the wilderness journey is going to be difficult, and there's going to be ups and downs. And I love that there's only two more comments that Moses makes, and they both have to do with water. They both have to do with water. The first one you see is in verse 9 where it says that at Elam, when they stopped at Elam, there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. That's how, there was was water there, right? There's palm trees, maybe some coconuts. They crack it open. They're sipping coconuts. Wow, that was a great place. They're going through the album, and they're seeing pictures, right, so to speak, of this place. And they're like, man, God really provided there. There was 12 springs. We could swim in them, drink it. Like, this is just overrunning with water in the middle of this wilderness, but then you look at verse 14 and another comment that uh, Moses makes is at Rephidim where there was no water to drink. There was no water to drink. And it's not that hard to, to get the value out of that. Some places God led them and there was plenty of water. Some places they ended up, there was no water. Some Psalms you, you read are like the Psalm we opened up with, praise the Lord, all the hills, all the mountains, praise Him. God is awesome. And then other Psalms are like, God, where are you? Right? From one psalm to the next, you're like, one psalm is like joyous. You're at the top of this spiritual mountain. You feel great about your following God. Who wouldn't follow God? He's so awesome. And then other valleys you're stuck in, maybe a shadow of death, and you're like, why am I following God again? Is He even here? You're downcast. That is the spiritual journey. Sometimes springs, sometimes no water to drink what's the point of it? The point is that God got them through all of it. I found this kind of interesting. All of these places, they stop. There are other places in Scripture you can turn to and go, I think Moses missed a couple spots. He didn't miss a couple spots. He's got 42 campsites here. 42 campsites in six cycles of seven. Six cycles of seven for 42 campsites. And one commentator I was reading made an interesting point that there's one more cycle. Seven is that number of perfection. So one cycle of seven camp spots, another cycle of seven stops, another cycle of seven stops, and you get through the sixth cycle, seven stops, and there's no seventh cycle. And I think it's because that seventh cycle is what they're about to start. That's why when God created the world, he created it in six days, and that seventh day is Rest. And many scholars will point out that what God is doing is laying out the pattern of the world. Six days of work, six days of stewardship, six days of uh, using your talents. And then that seventh day is our eternal rest with the Lord. That's why Hebrews talks about entering into God's rest, which is better than the physical promised land that Israel was looking at. So this journey is mapped out in these perfect cycles. And then, oops, a seventh cycle is missing. Why? Why? because that's what you're looking forward to in the future. And you need to understand your life is like that. You look down memory lane and you're like, oh boy, the older I get and the thicker that picture album gets, the closer I am to the end. No, the closer you are to the beginning. Because this is just a work week, and we're about to go on vacation. I mean, that's, that's the way the Bible lays it out. Ever since the, the first pages of Scripture, and even here in Numbers 33, they're about to enter this promised land where God is going to deliver them finally from this wilderness journey, from this up and down. But now they've got work to do. If you drop down into verse 50, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Speak to the Lord of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out... All the inhabitants of the land before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given, you, uh, given the land to you to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance Wherever the lot falls for anyone, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. And I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So we need to make some observations here. Who gets you from the edge to the edge? God does. Who provides for you water when you're thirsty? God does. Who gives you uh, the words that you need to live by in the wilderness that you can survive with, like Jesus did in Matthew and in Mark? God does. Yet there's this expectation that the people of God live into those provisions. So here's God communicating, look, I provided for you, I provided for you, I provided for you. But I didn't provide for you so you can just be like the world. I provided for you so you could be different from them. And here's what's going to happen, Israel. You're going to get into the land, all powerful. You kicked everybody's tail. Everybody's scared of you. And they're going to be like, oh, we're not going to do anything. Just let us live in this little corner. Let us live in this little back pocket. Nobody cares about this little corner over here. Don't wipe us all out. That's so mean. Hey, hey, that wasn't our idea. That was the king. He's crazy. Kill the king. Let us, we'll serve you. We'll be servants. And Israel's going to be like, yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. What's the point? Actually, we can have servants. We can have people serve us. That could be a good idea. You know, there's plenty of land. Uh, Our turn. Our turn to be on top. Our turn to have some servants. Our turn to have some slaves. Our turn to be boss and tell other cultures what to do. But the problem is they're going to be barbs. They're going to be thorns. They're not going to be swords, right? They're just going, to, just, just going to, little by little, it's going to be death by a thousand paper cuts. And the first thing you're like, oh, it's just a paper cut. Ah, oh, it's just a paper cut. It's just, a, yeah, after a million of them, you're bleeding, man. And you're not going to be able to resist their culture. You're not going to be able to resist their men, their women. You're going to start marrying them. Your schools are going to start blending, you're going to start syncretizing, the word that theologians often use is syncretism, where Israel will take their faith, and instead of dumping their faith and adopting someone else's faith, they' just mix it. Just mix it. We'll worship Yahweh, but we can have some metal images. What's the big deal? It's like little side things. you know they'll help out. And God is giving them the warning: I've brought you through this whole wilderness experience, and you can blow it. You can blow it by not driving out everything that will turn you from me. Because you think you can resist it, you think you can handle it, you think it's not a big deal, and it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. Why do I say kill you? I thought it was just thorns. Pay attention. Because he gives them the same warning, or very very similar warning, in uh, Joshua 23, where he says if they... uh, are not zealous to wipe out their gods and wipe out the idols of the other people, those people are going to be a snare, they're going to be a trap, they're going to be a whip to to the Israelites. And then Exodus 23, verse 33, he says, If they don't take care of their gods, get rid of their gods, put away their gods, they will be a snare to you. You've all watched the survival shows and they're dropped into the middle of wilderness and they don't have anything to eat and they grab some cordage and they make a snare, right? So the squirrel or the bunny or whatever it is gets caught in the snare. That's to die. And so the thorns will catch up. They will become a trap. And that trap will lead to death. It will not go well with you. You think You can syncretize. You think you can mix in some other things with holiness, and you'll be okay. And God's saying, you won't be okay. It's going to hurt you in the land when you do that. And then he leaves them with the final warning. If you paid attention to that last verse there, the last two verses we'll look at. If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land... From before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. And I will do to you as I thought to do to them. What did he think to do to them? Wipe them out. So what is God saying? If you just essentially become them, I'll wipe you out then. That's not God going, Oh, you'll still get into the land and you'll still have my blessing. You just won't have as big of a house. You're not in. Now, it's easy for us to go, yeah, thorns are not a big deal. Do you remember when Paul had a literal thorn in the side of his, whatever that was that was ailing him, and he pleaded with the Lord three times? Now, this is a guy that was beat senseless, beat unconscious, thrown out of a city, right, Thought left for dead, survived numerous shipwrecks, and he just grabs a piece of wood and kick paddles to the shore and keeps preaching the gospel. This guy is, he's like, he's, he's hardcore, and he pleaded with the Lord three times, whatever that thing was, blindness or something ailing him, maybe he couldn't walk, kidney stones, I don't know what it was. But it's easy for us to be like, yeah, thorn, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. A barb in your eye. I mean, just open open up, open up. I don't even like to go to the eye doctor and get the puff test with the air. A barb, just jam it in your eyeball. So what seemingly looks like a mild injury is a nagging kind of injury that will be the end of you. And it will be the end of us because what God is saying here is the kind of person that doesn't smash idols and instead adopts them is the kind of person that's not really a follower of me. That's what God is communicating. And that's what he's communicating through this passage and throughout all of Scripture. When you read the book of Hebrews, all those warning passages... You can't just do church and then mix. It's a scary thing. But what's the positive news? Well, right there in the middle, verse 53, you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, because I gave you the land to possess it, and you'll inherit the land by lot according to your clans. This is why so many times Jesus talks about rewards in heaven. Now, some of us think, we don't, want to do, we don't want to get to heaven so that we get an award, right? A reward. We want to get to heaven because we love God, like the book we gave away earlier, desiring him, not desiring stuff from him. True. But Jesus still didn't shy away from making it plain. When we get to the land, you will receive things based on your performance here. You don't earn salvation by performance, but God is watching the performance. And what we get as our lot there in the land has to do with How we do here, how we steward the talents He's given us here. And so Jesus doesn't shy away from how great it's going to be in my Father's house. There's many rooms, there's many rooms, and it's great. I'm preparing this place for you. And so we have this hope that if we really are worshipers of the Lord, we will gain an inheritance. And we'll gain a large inheritance, and it'll be an inheritance according to the faithfulness that he wrought through us in this wilderness journey. But one sign that we won't have an inheritance is we mix our Christian faith with worldly values. We mix our worship of God with the worship of other things. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous place to be. Because that's the kind of person that looks back through the album and like, oh, here's where I went through a dark time, here's where I went through a good time. But no matter how many dark times I have, God always brings me through it into a good time. So I guess it's okay to just have dark times. Let me go love darkness. See, that's the wrong conclusion to get from the memory album. The right conclusion is to go, wow, look at how many times my foot almost slipped. But when I looked to the Lord, He rescued me. Let me worship Him. And let me zealously smash all the idols in my life that don't look like him, that distract me from him, that are a snare to me. Even the things that I think aren't that big of a deal. So one way that we apply this verse, church, is to think about our personal holiness. And we've visited this theme many times throughout the book of Numbers and in many of our sermons throughout the whole Bible. But we need to be concerned about our personal holiness holiness. If you take stock of your life, what are some lingering things of the world that you can smash right now, that you can get rid of because it's a distraction, it's a barb. You thought you could resist, but you don't really resist it. You thought you could handle it, but you don't really handle it. You have un-Christian, unbelievers in your life, and they influence you way more than you influence them. And we make excuses for it. Well, we have to have non-Christians friends. How else can we evangelize? Yeah, good point, except you're not evangelizing. They're evangelizing you. What do you do about that? Sources of entertainment? I'm not up here saying you can only watch Christian movies, you can only read Christian books. I'm not saying that, but some of us like to pretend we watch certain things, we listen to certain things, and it doesn't affect our minds, and it does affect our minds. The only reason why we listen to those things, watch those things, is because everybody else is. We live in a place where that's the entertainment. Now, our challenge is harder than the challenge of the Israelites. The Israelites, all they had to do was kill all those people. right? Kill Hollywood. Kill the secular publishing houses. Kill Barnes and Nobles. Kill all those sources of secularity. Just kill it. And only have temple worship. Only have what Yahweh gives you. We're not allowed to do that. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. And while we're in the world, we've got to be influencers even though we're surrounded by influence. We don't get to retreat. We don't get to smash everything around us. We've got to live under the shadow of all these things and still pursue holiness. Thank God we've got something that the Israelites didn't have, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We understand the gospel clearly, and we understand that if we've truly been baptized in christ we get empowered by the holy spirit and this is why jesus did not send them on their mission to evangelize the world until they were empowered by the holy spirit you cannot do this on your own strength you can't raise up a generation of kids in this world by your own strength it doesn't matter if you homeschool and what curriculum you use you're not ready for it you can't maintain a christ-like character working every day in a secular workplace those of you going to college, you're not going to survive college on your own strength. Oh, I'm so smart, I'll, I'll go against the professors. You're going to be surrounded by highly intelligent students, peers, admin, faculty, and professors that might even change your grade if you expose your Christian faith too much. I was talking with a pastor recently who was at some point talking to a, a, uh, listening to a conversation uh, with a unbelieving professor and he said i don't i don't care what christian background the students have when they come in here church the christian church gets the student one day a week i get them five days a week i'm not scared of the church who's influencing who now when we barely dial in and i don't really when's the last time you read god's word i don't know maybe a few weeks ago When's the last time you watched a rated r movie oh yeah i just binged the whole series who's influencing who what does the entertainment look like in our lives how do we spend our money what do we put our money toward are we almost going to give that money toward that missionary effort and then be like ah never mind i i want my 15th tv in the last two years i don't know i'm just making stuff up and it's easy to go home like, oh my goodness, he's against TVs, he's against movies. I'm not. We, we watch movies. I have a TV. And I definitely don't do it perfectly. But when I read a passage like this, I'm like, you know what? It's really easy to just be like, okay, God's going to take us there from edge to edge. God's going to take us there. Yeah, he is. But he also requires that we pay attention to whether we're really going there. Are we really on a wilderness journey? Because that journey looks like smashing idols. We look at Israel and we're like, I don't get it. What's so attractive about metal images? I don't know, but they would probably look at your life and be like, I don't get it. What's so attractive about the things that you do? I don't understand. I don't understand those things. Fantasy, football, I don't don't get it. You just got to keep trading guys. I don't know. They don't even know what it is, right? So every culture has their own things. Some of those things are evil. Some of those things are not evil or bad, like fantasy football. I don't know why I'm mentioning that, but I'm just... It's because it's in that category of not evil. It's not evil. It doesn't necessarily directly glorify God, but it's not evil. But does it distract you? Do you know the names of players more than you know how to get to a book of the Bible if I ask you to turn there? Right? Who's influencing who? That's the issue. And so what God is getting at in this passage is I want you to look back on your life and see how I've provided for you. How no matter what you've gone through, I've brought you through. But I also want you to be encouraged by that, not to skate by, but to get zealous. God provides for us so we can zealously stamp out sin, so we can get serious about our pursuit of holiness and Christlikeness. And I don't know each of you personally enough to tell you where those things are. But if we pray it, God will expose it. If we self-examine, God will give us the wisdom and the discernment to see where we are compromising for comfort, lack of boldness. And we can ask God for the grace that we need to serve Him well individually and as a church in this world. Let's ask Him for that help. Fathers the Worship team comes up. We want to thank you for the reminder that you are so faithful and we can think back to our testimonies of when we were confused and when we were lost in darkness and you did something in us, you did something in our hearts and our minds, you granted us faith to rest in Christ and then we can think about our ups and downs in Christianity, our walk with you, how sometimes we stumble, sometimes we get caught in sin, sometimes we um, enter into some kind of pattern of of sin, and it seems like our, our lives are sort of devolving, and, and you rescue us from that. You call us out. You bring a Nathan into our lives to speak directly to it, or you convict us uh, from our own hearts, and, and we turn, and we grow, and God, this wilderness journey is very up and down, and it's um, difficult, but we lean on you. We trust in you for it, Father, and would you give us the grace to not make this wilderness Journey any more difficult than it needs to be by compromising with the inhabitants of this world that rage against the sun, or do we want to um, become more like Christ? And we are sometimes too ignorant, too dull, um, too immature, maybe, to to exactly see where those things are. Lord, would you continue chiseling off? Uh, The things that don't look like Christ so that we can conform to him more by the renewing of our minds, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and close in this song with us?